Alrighty. Good evening. Let's get started. Grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Esther chapter 8. Esther chapter 8. We are concluding and winding down. Very dramatic story here. We've been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. and Quite a story here for us with lots of valuable insights. So we look forward. Even though we're winding down, there's lots of great truths still left. So let's go to the Lord and ask him for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, Lord, as the story is winding down, Lord, it's the word of God and you have some very important things to say to our hearts and lives. And we pray that your spirit would cause us to be able to grasp the truths that you have for us and to put those truths into practice. Please give us your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you like happy endings, as most people do, right, and you appreciate some resolve at the end of a story, uh, you won't be disappointed here in the book of Esther, which is now winding down. We've already had a little bit of a resolve. Um, Now, I definitely don't appreciate stories that leave you hanging. Well, in this case, it did leave. Oh, you're a little slow this evening. Come on. In this case, it did leave someone hanging, but that was a good thing because it actually brought some necessary poetic justice. And so the villain who had built his hateful gallows for his enemy ended up hanging on those gallows himself. Now, Haman, who the Bible calls the enemy of the Jews, is dead. Uh, But the homicidal Uh, Yeah, homicidal, right? That's a word. It just didn't look right. (laughs) Homicidal decree is still very much alive. And so uh, the decree has been issued to wipe out, as you recall, God's people, 15 million Jews living under Persian rule there uh, are threatened by this order. And uh, so there exists some loose ends now to tie up Uh, some unfinished business to resolve. So we're just going to dive right in with verses 1 and 2 and get started here. So the story picks up that same day that Haman was hung. King Xerxes gave Queen Esther, his lawfully wedded wife, (laughs) the estate of Haman, who was just executed, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai, Esther's cousin, came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai, and Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. Now, wow, poetic justice. For sure the tables are turned, there's a reversal of fortune And that's pretty much a sub-theme of the entire Bible. Jesus said many times, a day is coming when the first shall be last and the last shall be first. When, when When the Lord Jesus Christ appears, those who are connected to him and mostly on the earth are poor and needy and oppressed and peoples, right? So, but when he appears, those who are connected to him will be first and others not connected to him will be last. But we're seeing... Uh, that lived out in our, in our narrative even tonight. And, and so 
did you catch this? All the things that Haman boasted about. Let me quote from last chapter. I mean, just the night before he was hung, he's voting. He's he's rather boasting about uh, all his vast wealth. Quote his many sons and all, and all the ways the king had honored him and how he had. Uh, how the king had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And so it's very interesting to note that as the story kind of winds down, that everything that he boasted about, he's going to lose, including, of course, his life. And that, of course, is a truth that when we put other things before God and we, put, uh, we set our hearts on earthly things, we're only setting ourselves up for disappointment because they can't, uh, they can't save us and they can't make our souls uh, content. You know, uh, Augustine said that there's that God-shaped hole in our hearts and that, that beautiful saying that said, you know, God, you have fashioned our hearts for thee and we are restless until the heart finds its rest in thee. And just a beautiful saying. And so Haman definitely did not find that rest. He put it in other things, and those other things were ripped away. And so your text and my text says that same day. And so if you're taking notes, why don't you put Haman's wealth and position are reassigned. So... Uh, there's still a lot of adrenaline flowing, and so there's a lot of loose ends that need to be uh, tied now, now that he's no longer with us. And so it says that same day, well, a lot was going on that same day, and still, as I said, a lot of adrenaline had been flowing. So earlier, you'll recall at the dinner party, right? Just a party for three, Queen Esther and the king, and his prime minister, Haman. And Esther courageously finally outed the prime minister, that wicked Haman, as a secret Iranian terrorist. Now, they're in Persia, which is modern-day Iran, and Haman was a terrorist who hated the Jews and tried to wipe them off the face of the earth. And so uh, this man was outed by the queen as having duped the king into signing an order that would ultimately have killed his wife, who's sitting there, who he loves, a mate queen, and her cousin, who he's just recently learned had saved his life. And so, not to mention the 15 million uh, Jewish people who are living in, under the empire there. And, and so uh, he, uh, as you will recall, as the king rages and finds out, wow, that this guy's sitting right at my table, he's out walking, pacing, collecting his thoughts, and uh, Haman loses his footing right above Queen Esther's couch where she's reclining, as they did in those days, and, uh, uh, and Haman topples on top of her just as the king is coming in. And so the king gets the, the idea that he's making some moves on his wife after, on top of everything he's just heard. And so before the words even leave his mouth, is, he's got that executioner hat on and he's ready uh, for the gallows, right? And so the king, when the king sees red, you know somebody's dead, right? And, and in, this, in this case, it is going to be Haman. So Haman's hauled off. Right, right from the dinner table, right out to the gallows there, and uh, that were built for Mordecai. So yeah, 
that same day, do you see this? This is important. On that very same day, the first loose string is the unfinished business of Haman's stuff. Who gets it? The guy's rich. You do remember the amount of the bribe to sell the Jews, to annihilate them? $180 million. Some scholars say he probably was going to try to make that money up by what he confiscated from the Jews he annihilates. Uh, But he had that money on hand to put into the king's treasury $180 million in today's money. And so that those assets needed to go somewhere, and it just as they always do when we leave this earth. And that's why Jesus tried to tell us, don't make such a big deal about stuff you're going to leave behind and uh, instead build, uh, make your treasures uh, in heaven. Store them up there, I should say. Uh, it reminded me of the story in Luke 12 uh, where Jesus is teaching about uh, the pitfall of greed. It's so apropos for, for, this, for tonight, really. He said, there was this certain man, and this man had so much wealth, he didn't know what to do with it all. And so he had a, an epiphany, and he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tear down those old, smaller barns, and I'm going to build me some bigger, newer barns that can hold all of this stuff. And then he's going to say to himself, and now I'll just pick up in in Luke chapter 12, you've got plenty of good things, Haman, laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, relax, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself, Haman? This is how, of course, I added Haman in there. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. So it's not about, uh, it's not the bad thing isn't about having stuff. The bad thing is about having stuff and going after stuff at your expense, your relationship with God, right? And so um, that same day, the question is asked, who's going to get Haman's stuff that he prepared for himself. And, and that was an easy answer. The king looked at his wife, who's been through a lot, and said, honey, it's all yours. Haman's fortune, it's all yours. It's an adequate award for pain and suffering, right? <laughs> but it's also a token of goodwill. Oh, he's a husband. And he's slightly responsible for the whole mess by not vetting out what uh, Haman was asking him to do. He's out there drinking and he's not paying attention. He's like, oh, some people who he didn't even ask, who are they? And he's, he agrees with his ink pen to, to go ahead and wipe them all, all out. And so he's feeling bad. So he says, honey, all that 180 mil, it's, I know you got it made here, the palace, but you know what? That's all going to be yours. So that's in keeping with the ancient times. Uh, uh, convicted uh, criminals, uh, all their assets reverted back to the crown. And so uh, Esther now is one of the wealthiest, check this out, the most, I've got a map of, remember, Persian Empire, from India to Ethiopia, almost into Europe, all of Turkey here. She is queen, she is the richest woman in the then known world and the most powerful She's married to the king. 
and now, I mean, it's just amazing to just win a beauty pageant at random <laughs> and go from an insignificant, a poor Jewish woman to really the ruler of the then known world. You know, with God, all things are possible. What else can you say? Amen. And so um, uh, uh, the second problem, thank you for that map. We'll go back to the text. The second loose end now is uh, we've got the assets distributed. Now, a vacancy to, to, uh, to fill, verse 2, all right? And so not just any position. It's the prime minister, and that's what he, his job was. Uh, he was second in uh, command over that entire uh, reign. A hundred million people estimated to have been a part of the Persian Empire, and Haman was number two. And that job has an opening now. Well, who's going to fill the opening? Well, that's another easy question for the king. It's Mordecai the Jew. He's a trusted and loyal employee already. He was already employed at the king's gate doing admin work, and uh, he was already proved his loyalty and courage by saving the king's life. And so there's a bond there. Not only that, He's related to Mordecai now through marriage because now he knew Mordecai was a Jew and he just found out that his wife was Jewish, but he didn't know that they're relatives, that he was a beloved, close, near and dear relative who raised her when she was orphaned. And so in comes Mordecai who has saved the king's life by exposing a a wretched plot to kill him and he's Esther's beloved father or guardian who else to take the position so he sees it you know and he says hey man he takes off off comes the signet ring which is really the legal authority to uh, do business on the king's behalf so he's got Haman's job and Esther has his assets and then Esther for her part needs an estate manager so who better than her cousin Mordecai he worked in administration come on I mean there you go and so uh, a role now she's going to appoint to Mordecai to manage the estate so things are nicely uh, resolving Uh, the fall of Haman has now been totally balanced out hasn't it by the rise of the one he sought to destroy. Think about that. Um, And now with a Jewish queen on the throne and a Jewish prime minister reigning over the empire, the Jewish people are in a pretty good position. Amen? Considering where they were just several days uh, earlier. Now, uh, one writer put it this way, some encouragement. Children of God, he wrote, Now learn the lesson here. One day, the entire world was against God's people. They were slated for destruction with no hope in sight. And the very next day, the entire world would be for them. What a difference one day can make when God is working in the mix on our behalf. In a moment's notice, our apparent doom takes a turn and we become victors instead of victims. All right, now a big portion to take a look at because it's a third loose end that needs some fixing, and it's an important one. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. See, we're not done yet. We're not out of harm's way. (laughs) She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman, which he had uh, devised against the Jews. 
Then the king extended the gold scepter to Esther again, and she arose and stood before him. If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favor and thinks it's the right thing to do, and if he's pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman devised and wrote to, the, to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? King Xerxes replied to his wife, Queen Esther, and to Mordecai the Jew, his new prime minister. Because Haman attacked the Jews, I've given his estate to Esther, and they have hanged him on the gallows. So now write another decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews as you seem best, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For no document written in the king's name and sealed with this ring can be revoked. At once the royal secretaries were summoned on the 23rd day of the third month, the month of Sivan. Continuing on. They wrote out all Mordecai's orders to the Jews and to the satraps, governors, and nobles of the 127 provinces. That's that whole map stretching from India to Ethiopia or northern Sudan. These orders were written in the script of each province, the language of each people, and also to the Jews, Hebrew, in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote in the name of the king, sealed the dispatches with the king's signet ring, and sent them by mounted couriers who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves to destroy, kill, and annihilate any armed force of any nationality or province that might attack them and their women and their children, and to plunder the property of their, of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in, the, in all the provinces of the King Xerxes was the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their, on their enemies. The couriers riding the royal horses raced out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was also issued in the citadel of Susa, which was the capital of the Persian Empire. Okay, so let's go back to that first block. Now, uh, if you're taking notes, Haman's estate has been reassigned, right? Haman's position has been filled, and now Haman's edict is going to be somewhat overturned. Uh, so Esther's very wise. She's a wise woman. She's going to strike while the iron is hot. You know, uh, she does kind of still has nine months before D-Day for the Jew comes, right? I, I mean, it's, it's Jewish Holocaust would be coming in nine months from the date of this whole scene. Uh, but no, she's going, to, um, she's going to take some risks and go and bother the king once again to get um, some um, rescue underway. And so she's thinking, how far can I push this guy before, you know, he's unstable. He could just say, look, didn't I do this? I did that. I did the other thing. And now you're asking me to do this and it's going to embarrass everybody or whatever. But uh, she doesn't want to waste any time. Now, yeah, she's a millionaire now. 
think about the character. This, she's noble. Think about her. This is why we celebrate her, you know. She's a millionaires. The man who raised her is prime minister. Now, she's married to the king. She's ruling the empire with him, in a sense. Uh, but nothing's going to comfort her at all while this edict is alive and well and hanging over the heads of God's people. She certainly had the temptation of, hey, sit back, let this thing rest. You know, stop bugging him. You know, one wrong move and, you know, he's a, those kings, they're like that, you know. And she knows that. And so uh, that, that's what's going on here. But she knows that she needs to do this. Um, this is what Warren Wiersbe said. Esther cared about others who were still in danger. How unlike some believers today who ignore the needs of the lost world while they search for new ways to spend money and have fun. They think that attending church and bringing their offerings fulfills their Christian responsibilities and gives them the freedom to do whatever they please with the rest of their time and money. We need more people like Esther, whose burden for condemned people was greater than any other thing in her life. Warren Wiersbe, Bible Exposition and Commentary, page 742. I just want you to know, I did not make those words up, all right? Somebody else said them, and I copied them down, and you can check them out, all right? So verse 3 here, Esther approaches the throne again, and, you know, a great display of emotion and weeping, and she's prostrated on the ground, and she's going to ask for mercy and intercede for her people. Now, ladies, ladies, you know how to get to a guy, right? It's tears, it's just tears, straight tears. Some of you are going, doesn't work, tried it. <laughs> tears and emotion will really soften most men's hearts. And these tears are for real. This is no act. But so she's crying her eyes out, you know, and she noticed that the scepter is extended, which proves my whole point is that the royal protocols are not dismissed. He's still, he's still got a scepter. And he's still deciding, yes or no, I'm going to use it all. He, he didn't say, oh, now you're my queen and your cousin is prime minister. Well, you don't need a whole lot of scepter again, you know. Oh, no. He has the scepter and those rules are in place and she better come the right way. And he decided, I'm going to extend it. He could have just said, you know what? <laughs> I, this has been seven chapters. I'm done with this book, you know. <laughs> we might have been reading uh, something else. And so, yeah. So Esther's nervous. Can't you hear it? Listen to her. If it pleases the king, if he regards me with favor, if you think it's the right thing to do, and if he's pleased with me four times, she's Frightened for her life four times. She's saying, uh, just so you know, I'm not telling you what to do or think. That's the, the translation of all of those four things is, you're the king. You're going to make up your own mind. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. And I'm not going to make you do it. I'm just asking. 
Four very easy questions. <laughs> if you ever want to see me smile again, <laughs> if you ever want to have my pot roast again, you know, or whatever, you know, you will do this. No, she doesn't say that. So the request, you know, is to overrule the lethal edict to destroy the Jews. And then she throws in that, and you see that in your text. Life wouldn't be worth living. How, how could I bear this disaster uh, to see my family, my Jewish people destroyed? And so verse 6 there, how can I bear that? And so the king's encouraging response, you know. I like, do you catch, do you, can you hear his tone? He's saying, well, you know, she's falling apart. And he's kind of like, of course I'm going to help you. So he says to her, he, say, he reminds her, okay, let's start from the beginning, uh, Esther. I, I had that Haman executed, and I had his estate given to Queen Esther, right? And then the chimes went off. <laughs> I had his estate given to you. So what is he saying? He's saying, listen, Honey, sweetie, listen. Uh, I already I took care of the bad guy, and I get, I gave you all his wealth. And and so yes, I'm going to go ahead and let you guys have the permission to go ahead and write a decree in my name. And in the Hebrew, it's interesting. It says according to the good in your eyes, as you see best, right? And so here we see really, and Mordecai is present now. And so he tells them, go ahead and, and, and do it, right? But we see a bit of the problem here now in verse 8. He says, take good care and write another order in my name that can, in effect, counter the first because, he says, technically, uh, those words can't be revoked. So they had this thing that in ancient times, the king's word was like God's word. It was perfect the way it was the first time. And, and there was a law upon laws upon laws you never can rescind that word. That word stands final. You can't say, oh, I'm going to change my mind. So he says, make sure you take that into consideration when you write the second one, because by the second edict, you can kind of nullify. If you do it right, you'll nullify the effects of the first one. So be pleased to take care and do that. So here's what... I'm reminded of, it reminds me of the gospel because there is an edict from God about sin. And that first edict, the first testament, says the soul that sins will die. You eat of this fruit, you will die. That stands today. The soul that sins will die. That will never be rescinded. It will not be revoked. But there's a second decree that has been given that will nullify the first decree if you live by the second. And the second is this. But the gift of God is eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so, yes, we have a first edict that says the wages of sin is death. But then the king put in to order another edict that brings life. And so, you know, you see the gospel here. You really, you really can. God solved the problem 
in our case, not by compromising his decree for eternal justice, but by fulfilling justice and taking the punishment we deserved. And so his counter decree saves us like the king's counter decree will save uh, the Jews. Now, let's take a look at that new law, all right? So the royal secretaries are going to get busy. It's June 25th in our language, all right? And uh, uh, the Holocaust is coming on the following March 7th. And so it's going to be the second decree, and, and hear the gospel. It's going to be written in every language, tribe, and to every people all over the earth on the king's trusty royal uh, steed, right? And so it's very much like the gospel. And would to God that the church would find that kind of, hey, we got to get this new decree out because the old decree's hanging over everybody's heads out there. You know, see, so God doesn't waste anything. There's always the gospel. You'll always find the gospel story right there in the middle of every story, including the Old Testament. And, and, and so from verses 11 forward on, we see this new decree. It's going to go out next day air, you know, on the king's <laughs> fastest horses. Those horses were bred for speed. So, they, you know, well, they got a lot of miles, 2.5 million square miles to cover. So now, the king is now promoting Jewish favor. So in short, here's what the, the edict, the new edict says. If I were you, I would not attack the Jews. All right? That's really what he's saying. Do not mess with them. Because the king and Persian armies will back them to bring vengeance upon anybody who is going to threaten them. They know, the Persians know, Oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a rule that went out, the first decree. He can't change that. The second decree tells everybody who knows the laws of the land, he's changing the decree. He's changed his mind. Don't mess with the Jews. That's what he's saying. Do not. And, and by the way, you know, they could assemble. He's saying, let them assemble. Already, they started to stop them from assembling. Nine months to go, and the world was already stopping them. Oh, no, no Jews together, because you might, you might mount a defense, right? So they definitely uh, were trying to do that, and the law said they could assemble. Um, they also could protect themselves against attacks of any kind, verse 11, that threatened them and their women and their children. Now, the words destroy, kill, and annihilate, oh, that, that's not uh, their language. They're mirroring the language of Haman just to show that there's a counterbalance here. Haman said, uh, the, the first edict said, kill, kill, destroy, kill, and annihilate. So he mirrors that back and says, no, that will happen to those who oppose the Jews and attack the Jews. And so that wasn't harsh on their part. They're just saying, uh, using that language. So obvious uh, change in the king's heart there. So it's plain to see by everyone. The decree is clearly being uh, reversed. And now it puts the hater of the Jews in the hot seat. All right, so let's finish up here. 15 through 17. Mordecai left the king's presence wearing royal garments of blue and white. 
a large crown of gold and purple robe of fine linen. And the city of Susa, the capital of Persia, held a joyous celebration. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor in every province and in every city. Wherever the edict of the king went, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. Let's talk about that. Now, uh, we've seen uh, Haman lose his life, of course. Uh, We've seen his wealth given to Esther. Uh, We've seen his position given to Mordecai. Uh, We've seen the edict essentially be overturned. And now we're seeing that Haman's enemies get the upper hand. So it's time for a new prime minister, right? And so one with a heart for God's people is going to look out for their interests. And God's always doing this. He did it in Egypt, right? He, he raises up uh, uh, some young Jewish boy named Joseph, right? He, he raises him up to where? Prime minister over Egypt. Egypt was ruling the then known world. So this is something God does. He also did it 100 years prior to this story with a man named... That's all right. I know. You're just thinking, how hot is it outside? I don't blame you. A man named Daniel, 100 years ago, he was prime minister over Babylon. And then when, when Persia came in and took over the, the whole world, he was still prime minister, right? So God always has this man, right? And now, now, now it's Mordecai. And Mordecai's in place over the whole world. And he's going to watch out for the Jews because God put him there and said, watch out for my people, right? So whenever Israel is occupied, there's always a man God has raised up on a throne to watch out for them. So you're probably asking yourself right now, who who did he raise up now? Where is he? Oh, let me tell you, since you're asking. There's this Jewish man who was born of a Jewish woman. From the line of Abraham, from the tribe of Judah, from the seed of David. So he's a king, but he's a man. He's a human being as well. But he also happens to be God. But in, on his human side, he's Jewish. Where is he now? On the throne. Where? Running the universe as God the Son in his very being and nature He has a Jewish side forever because he was born of the Jewish race. So God raised him up just like he raised up Joseph and Daniel and Mordecai. And he said, oh, this is the man on the throne who's going to take care of God's people and not just Israel, but everybody who calls on the name of the Lord. He's the one in a high place watching out for his nation, the Jews and his people, the church. Amen? Amen. That's what's going on. And so uh, it's time for a party, right? Because it's Persia, and that's what they do, right? In the book of Esther, this is the eighth feast now. So uh, verses 15 through 17 there are seven references to happiness. This is a joyful time. 
And so seven references in two verses, uh, and it's a party. Uh, I like what Isaiah 62 in verse 3 says. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. And so, you know, the picture of now Mordecai, the Jew, as the Bible calls him, with his blue and white royal robes and garments and a gold crown on his head and that, that scarlet, that purple royal robe, you see, that picture of that. And then, and then all of this joy in the capital city. Uh, and, and they're feasting again. And you know, as I've been describing Jewish holidays with, as a joke, you know, I, I say it almost every week. Uh, the motto of every Jewish holiday is they try to kill us, we survived, let's eat. <laughs> right? So uh, here's a, uh, yet another one. And so, listen, if you belong to the Lord, it's just a matter of time uh, before your sadness changes into joy. Now, unfortunately, there's one more showdown between the Haman of Hamans, the Antichrist, who will rise to power as Haman rose to power with a plot, a secret plot, to kill the Jews. He's coming. He may be alive today. So this last conspiracy, this last attack will be the worst. Jesus said there will never be a time, there has never been a time like it before, nor shall there ever be a time like it again. This next attack will bring on World War III, Armageddon, and the great appearing of Jesus Christ. The earth will be destroyed Every nation as well, but the Jewish people will be standing. They will be standing. He comes, Romans eleven twenty five, for a nation that has been protected with God's hand over them. They will suffer great casualties. But as a nation, they will repent. They will receive their Messiah, Jesus. And when he lights up the skies... That nation is going to be intact, though most of the planet will be charred. The Jewish people will remain. And there'll be a party. There'll be a party. And it'll be one more time. They'll be able to say, they tried to kill us. <laughs> we survived. Let's see. <laughs> All right? And guess who gets to be a part of that? Well, you know, thankfully, when it comes down to the end, when it's the world against God and Israel, the church has been taken out of the way because the Lord said, you don't want to be part of this. So he takes the church out of the way and then it's God, Israel, and the entire world against her. And what the world needs to learn is that one plus God is a majority. Amen. <laughs> so sad, sad to say, uh, they're going to have to uh, uh, endure one more attack, and then it'll be the last attack ever. So, so such a beautiful thought. Um, listen, 
I love what the Bible says in Revelation 21. In fact, I might have it to close our, out our thoughts here. Uh, there comes a time when after the attack, it's time to celebrate. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now is the dwelling of God with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things that passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To anyone who's thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. All who overcome will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my sons and my daughters. Listen, that's a good edict, all right? And, and, and what caused the Jews and, and everybody in Susa to be all happy and let's have a party? What, was it the edict? No, not really. It was their faith in the edict that that edict was gonna come to pass. They still had nine months to walk out. They still had some things that to kind of work out. They still had some threat hanging over their head. But when they read the edict from the king, and the king said, hey, I'm with you guys now. No worries. I'm going to back you guys. Don't worry about them. They burst forth with joy, and they had a party. They were happy in their hearts, even though they still had some threats every day. They had to work some things out. But their faith in the king's word or Mordecai's word and the king's signet ring that says, I promise you guys are going to be okay. That was enough. And has not God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. All your troubles, I am working together for good because you love me and you're called according to my purpose. I'm working all things out for you. You know, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, shall overcome the world. He's destined us. So there ought to be a little bit of joy. Amen. A little bit of joy. You know what? Who, who was it who said? Billy Sunday, who said, if, a, if you... What did he say? <laughs> I found it. It's a miracle. If you've got no joy in your religion, he said, you've got a leak in your Christianity. <laughs> come on. All of those promises, come on. You've got a leak somewhere in your heart if you're not believing that God is ultimately going to get you to heaven to present you faultless before, to, to him who is able to present you faultless before the throne. To him be glory and honor forever and ever. To him who is able. I am confident that the one who started the work in you will carry it out to completion until that day. Does that do anything for us? Like, oh, no, I'm, I'm never going to make it. We're all going to die. Satan is attacking me. Oh, come on. A little joy. You're going to leak in your Christianity. Read the king's edict over and over again, and you want to just have a cause for a little celebration. Listen, then the Jews, last line in there, right? Go back to the text, please. And it says, the, uh, and many other people of other nationalities wanted to become Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. 
they knew the story. Your God is not like our rock gods. We pray to them, nothing ever happens, right? But you guys let out some cries, and, and all of a sudden, you got a God who changed the king's edict and intervened for you guys. Oh, we want a God like that. Can we come and be a part of the party? You know, we won't eat pork chops. <laughs> oh, that, that is so awesome. The sentiment was this. You know, the sentiment was, you know, we want to identify with you. We're drawn to you because you have a living relationship with the living God. Uh, I found a good sermon illustration for this. Uh, after President Reagan w- was shot in 1981 there in Washington, D.C., he was being prepped for surgery. And you know how funny he really was. He has a famous line that he said to the surgical team around him right when he was going out, you know. He said um, to his medical team, I hope you are all Republicans. (laughs) (laughs) Before you take the knife, you know. And the surgeon said, the lead surgeon said, Mr. President, today all of us are Republicans. Now, that was the attitude of the Persian people. Today, we are all Jews with you. You know, God was at work. People's lives were being changed. And it meant that they had to go through a little bit of threats and suffering. But ultimately, God was winning the day and changing people's lives and drawing people to himself. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truths that we're finding even as we're closing out the book of Esther. We thank you, Lord, for your wonderful presence here tonight. We praise you. We're so glad to know you and have those that second decree, Lord, that, that gives us joy in our hearts and confidence in our day. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.